Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. Everybody in this country is talking about Medicare for all. I thought it would make sense to talk to Troy Lanigan, a Canadian fighting against government controls in healthcare and all of the rationing and waiting lines and bad things that happen in that country. Check it out. Troy, welcome to America. Well, great to be here. Great to be in this studio, finally, that I've seen so many times. Now I'm sitting in it. Yes, and you you brought me a gift uh, direct from Canada, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Tell, tell me about what this is here. Uh, Crown Royal. So this particular uh, whiskey that we refer to as rye back home actually won a world whiskey um, gold medal in uh, 2016. So when that happened, it was impossible to find this on the shelves because people were just grabbing it. But uh, now you can get it, and so uh, grabbed a few. I've seen so many whiskeys enjoyed on this show over yeah. time. I thought, well, I better, in the spirit of being a Canadian guest, I better bring a bottle down to share. And where, where are you based? Um, so I live in British Columbia on the West Coast, lived there most of my life, I actually did spend a year uh, in Virginia uh, at one point. I've lived in a few uh, other spots, but I've always returned to uh, to the West Coast. I live in the capital, Victoria, which is near Vancouver. Okay. And you're the, the founding president of a fairly new organization called Second Street. Right. Um, yeah. So for most of my career, I've been involved with taxpayer advocacy work, 26 years with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Um, decided it was time to leave, mm-hmm. uh, make room for the for the fella coming in behind. Um, but you know, Matt, we've you, you go to conference after conference and have conversation after conversation, and we all agree that we that support the ideas of limited government need to tell more stories. And so we came up with the idea: what about creating a think tank that was dedicated just to telling stories? And if we disciplined ourselves only to tell stories, and so uh, we wrote a business plan out for SecondStreet.org. And it's dedicated to um, telling stories, the impacts that public policies have on people in a real and profound way. So, for example, on something like healthcare, um, I could tell you that the average wait time for a surgical procedure is 19.8 weeks, is which what it is, an increase of 113% since 1993. Or I could tell you the story of a young woman named uh, Laura Hillier. Um, Laura um, has a very treatable form of cancer, uh, leukemia. Um, Very active young woman. She was involved with uh, musical theater. Uh, She sang beautifully. Uh, She had a lot of friends. And uh, when her cancer crept up again at the age of 18, she went onto a wait list. And Unfortunately for Laura, there was only five of these procedures uh, that were done, and all she needed was a a stem cell procedure. There was only five done in her hospital region a month. Well, there was 33 people in front of her, and she didn't make it. Uh, Laura died, 18 years old. Vibrant woman had no reason for this to happen to her. And if you look at the news stories you'll see hundreds of her peers, young people signing this young woman's casket with these messages about how she was loved and how beautiful she was. This is, this is morally wrong. 
And we'll get into this discussion that, oh, we've got to have equality and we've got to have equal access and we can't let people pay for this out of their pockets. We on our side have to be just as morally outraged at what governments are doing in something like healthcare by rationing it. This young woman didn't need to die and there's others on wait lists like this around the country. And the idea that we want to import this or export it, I think we better stick to the whiskey and not um, the healthcare system. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my beef. And I, I'm a huge fan of rye whiskey. And I recently discovered that, that one of my favorite American ryes turns out to actually be sourced in, oh. in Alberta, Canada, uh, Whistlepig. And we've, we've drank that on this show as well. Uh, one of my favorite bands, Rush, <laughs> is a Canadian export. But I don't want your single-payer uh, government-run healthcare system exported to the United States. And we're we're uh, shockingly having that conversation right now. Like, I think almost every single Democrat running for president today has endorsed some version of Medicare for All, and there's there's various flavors of this, and it's usually more about the specifics. And I thought that 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 the story, like you just told, is what first got my attention. You and I were were speaking on a panel in Sydney, Australia. Uh, and it was like the libertarian uh, Australian Libertarian Society and the World Taxpayers Association, but so few of of us tell stories. We 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 parse Elizabeth Warren's numbers, right? And it's like, what is it? Twenty trillion? Is it thirty trillion? Yeah. Like, how much is this going to be? Um, not not a, not appreciating that there's not a single person in the world that that it can even conceive of, or frankly care about what a trillion dollars is when it comes to healthcare. Right. It's ultimately about whether or not your daughter gets the, the, the care that she needs in time for her to grow up and live a vibrant life. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, there's lots. There was um, um, a survey done showing that only 26% of people could tell you how many zeros were in a billion. Yeah. And yet we use these numbers all the time. And when I come down to this country, they talk in trillions. I mean, they are completely meaningless figures. Yeah, yeah. But if, if you know, you can relate, you, you can see some young woman who lost her friend that's writing a message to her on a, on a coffin. Yeah. What, what's more tangible? What, what has more meaning? What, yeah. has, what hits you in a more profound way? And so we've, I think we on our side, we're too logical. We've this has been going on for a long time. There's great think tanks, there's great materials, but we've got to, we've got to start connecting and telling th these stories in, in more real and tangible and meaningful ways that, that connect with people. And so that's what we're trying to do is, you know, go out and, and talk to people that are on wait lists, for example. What, what are their actual experiences? And tell those stories and then push them out um, and, and see that as a means to hopefully affect change and build constituencies that go, something's wrong here. This isn't working. So, Well, let's, let's, let's take a step back, and I, and I suppose we should take a, two steps back and, and, and try this delicious rye. It's, it's sort of Cheers. haunting me here. Cheers. That's beautiful. It's nice. It's beautiful. Um, so let's let's assume let's let's give uh, people sort of Canadian healthcare 101, um, because certainly some of some of the people listening understand that that the Canadian system is is kind of a single payer system. But t tell me how it works. 
Um, well, there is both private and public um, health care. Um, a lot of things are private. Dentistry is private. Pharmaceutical drugs are private. Um, uh, procedures that are not deemed medically necessary are are private. Um, plastic surgery, for example, you can go and pay out of your pocket for, for procedures like that. The catch is, is that anything that's on the government's list, and it varies a little bit from province to province, that is deemed medically necessary can only be paid for by the government by law, which means it is illegal for you to take out of your pocket to pay a doctor for a medically necessary procedure, um, like a stem cell. Uh, transplant. We just talked about it at, at the beginning. Um, it is illegal for a doctor to uh, bill a patient anything over and above what the government would have on its pay schedule. So um, in a nutshell, that's how it works. Now, there have been some gray areas, uh, orthopedics, um, knee surgeries, these sorts of things. Um, so some private hospitals have, have popped up. But you can understand why any private sector investor would be hesitant to set up a hospital under that scenario. Yeah. Some still have. Um, and there are many cases, depending what the government of the day is in any province, um, they may actually contract out some procedures because they're backlogged in the public system. But then um, a government changes, it becomes more militant that it, you know, we can't have any of this extra billing. It's immoral that someone pay out of their pocket. Um, and all of a sudden, fines are being issued for any doctor that bills out outside of yeah. the public system. So, by by the way, there's a similarity there. Um, a lot of the regulatings uh, regulations uh, governing uh, Medicare providers, hospitals, doctors, you're either in or you're out, but you can't um, you can't uh, do both. You can't both right. uh, take Medicare patients and and um, below market Medicare reimbursements, and then provide procedures outside the system. You have to choose one or the other. And that that's, seems to be one of the characteristics of a, a sort of a rationed government system is that if if you allow for, for people to um, sort of leave the system when they need to, it, it undermines the whole process of, of cost control, right? Right. Other, what we would call rationing, but what they would call cost control. Right, and so, well, I mean, it's you have you have a basically you have a monopoly, right? And right. you have all these problems that are typically associated with a monopoly, whether it's a a private monopoly or whether it's a public monopoly. And so, I think you know one of the most powerful indictments, and we did some of this work. If if you look at our our site on Second Street, is that people ultimately vote with their feet; they leave the country. And, and this is the most powerful in, indictment of, of the system. Um, our research shows through, and this is Statistics Canada data, I mean, it's government data, 217,000 people left the country for care in 2017. That's like 600 people every day. That's huge. Huge. Yeah. And so, you know, I remind American audiences that you multiply that by 10 when you're, you know, comparing it to the United States. So... Imagine us here if you had a circumstance where 6,000 Americans were leaving the country every single day to seek yeah. care in another, another jurisdiction. So that, that to me always is the most powerful indictment. Um, but 
I don't know why my challenge is and my frustration is why can't we create the big constituency at home to to change all that because yeah. we, we see all these statistics you talk to people they understand but there's this pathology almost that like you, you've got to be you you cannot um people can't pay out of their pocket that there's something morally wrong with people being able to pay yeah uh, out of their pocket and so this is why we've, we've got to have the, we've got to meet them on the moral argument rather than just the economic argument and say no, it, it's not. It's morally wrong to put someone on a wait list. Yeah. And their only option, if they can afford it, is to go to another country. And not just the United States, but people going to Mexico, Thailand. We had a conversation, Matt, I'm not making this up, about a woman that was going to China for a procedure because she wouldn't have to wait as long as she would in, in the Canadian system. So, so this is crazy. And we, we are... We can get into it. There's been a number of efforts to try and move this needle. Yeah. Um, I want to tell some of those home. stories because I, I spent some time on your website watching um, various uh, patient stories, and you guys you guys have done a great job of, uh, I'm sure it's not always easy getting a patient to, to tell their story because healthcare, yeah. when you get sick, it's such a personal thing, and, and you have to be willing to sort of uh, open yourself up to that. But I'm, I'm thinking about this 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 dilemma because you have 216 216,000 people a year leaving Canada to get the health care they need because the system has failed them. Um, but the majority of people, most of the time, happily don't have are not facing some sort of catastrophic health care crisis. And I'm thinking of uh, Jim Carrey, one of your exports, thank you very much, was, uh, was on Bill Maher's uh, bragging about how awesome the Canadian healthcare system was for him. And I was thinking to myself, uh, that's because you probably never really needed it. Right. Because it's not about, it's not, it's, it's the, the crisis is not about basic care. The crisis is, I have cancer. Yeah. And I just got um, a two-year waiting list to be treated. But tell some of these tell some of these stories if well, you can. I'll, I'll tell you the um, I'll tell you the first one actually. Uh, very simple. Um, a, a woman needs uh, hip surgery. Uh, she's a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, this is Jenny, right? This is Jenny's story. Yeah. This is the yeah. first first one we did that we released on the on the site. Um, a very active woman. I mean, she enjoyed hiking. She has grandchildren. She spent a lot of time with them. Um, started to experience pain, was identified that she would need um, surgery and became more and more immobile as, as time goes on. And the system told her it would be one to two years before she could get treatment. Um, and so <laughs> we, we, we tell her story, we show it. She can't put on her socks, she needs a device to put on her socks and, and, and we, t we take her all through it. Um, we then put out her story and the local media picked it up. And we like to take the, the people who tell these stories onto the media where we can or to appear before a committee or whatever the case may be. And uh, she tells her story. It gets the attention of some officials and lo and behold, guess what happens? The one to two year wait becomes magically. a matter, magically, no coincidence, becomes yeah. a, a few weeks. So this is the, politics governs the system when you when you turn the system over to politicians yeah oh what's going to happen you're going to get political imperatives running it 
Um, Who's got the, the juice the, to get in line right. in front of somebody else? Uh, with the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. You know, like... <sighs> No members of the Toronto Raptors are going to wait for two years to get a, a procedure done. Wink, wink. I yeah. mean, come on. Yeah. If you're connected, if you, or if you can raise your hand or or make some noise, as, as the case of Jenny shows. Um, it's, a, it's a great story at uh, home in Vancouver in the 80s when they started construction of the, the Vancouver um, General Hospital. They wanted a visual so that people could see the government's commitment to health care. So there's these two... 13-story buildings go up and they constructed them and the government of the day looked great. Well, guess what? They sat empty for more than a decade before they were finally filled. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. It's like a Potemkin village on 13th Avenue in Vancouver. Oh, look at our commitment to healthcare, these empty buildings. This is disgusting. Yeah. It's because politics are governing this more than it is um, people's lives, people as consumers. We have to think of them as 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 consumers. If um, I, I have I have heart disease, and you know I've I've I have my own story. I know you have a story as well with uh, with healthcare. I went to a session at the hospital that helps heart patients day to day living and everything else. And the woman, someone raised a problem with the program and the doctor running the program says, well, you should go talk to your member of the Legislative Assembly about this. To which I thought, this is so messed up. Like, why would you go talk to a politician? You're the doctor, you're standing in front. Like, the relationship should be between the provider of the service and the people using the service. Yeah. But when government injects itself, a whole other bunch of priorities take place that have nothing to do with that relationship between the... I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't think of um, having the government in between a relationship if you're going to buy a, a record or if you're going to right. buy a car or a pair of shoes. So why is why is why is healthcare different? Um, or, or to that extent, why don't we have um, if you applied it in other areas of life? Why don't we have food care? Why don't you get a card from the government called a, a food care card? And you go in and just get the food you want and, and leave. And if you explain that to anyone on the street, oh, that wouldn't work. And they'll give you all these reasons why it wouldn't work. Okay, well, then why is healthcare any different? Yeah. And this is, you know, this is what we're trying to do is create through stories, through narratives, through these kinds of examples. I think they're far more powerful in motivating and moving people in a different direction than um, this idealism this idealism that does not work, that it's somehow free and available for you anytime. Well, it's sort of like going back to the food analogy, apparently you have the same thing in your country. We have something called mandated benefits and it's always a political football as to whether or not your disease and your treatment makes the list or doesn't make the list. And and it's a a fight in state capitals. It's a fight, um, unfortunately, more and more in our federal government as to what's covered, what's not under Medicare and Medicaid, uh, mandated benefits under Obamacare. And if imagine applying that to your grocery list right. and and some, some faceless gray-suited bureaucrat somewhere in some agency is going to decide that Cantoon is on the list, but um, your favorite thing, whatever that is, right. in, in my case, it would be rye whiskey. <laughs> Rye whiskey's not making the list, 
and that's 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 a moral outrage as well. But but we we need to get people to understand that the only people that really understand what your health care needs are are you, and your family, your doctors, the people that you know and trust, and and the, the people that support you. Imagine being totally disconnected from from the the bureaucrats with lots of power who would decide that for you. And that's every one of these stories that you talk about. Somewhere, somebody really smart decided that Jenny didn't need hip surgery because right. it wasn't a priority vis-a-vis something else. And maybe it was because there wasn't well, enough budget. we have to build empty buildings. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't enough budget. Like, we, we're going to build these cool buildings. Um, uh, some other uh, element is more politically... Uh, uh, influential, right. like these. These are all like like the sort of wicked stuff you would read about the Soviet Union, not Canada or uh, God help us, the United States. Right. There's plenty of wealth in our country to provide for everybody. Yeah. Right. But um, it just goes to show what government interfering in the system, and I probably a lot of the people that set up the system it's only been going on since the 1960s are very well intended yeah i I don't deny that they're well intended but god look at it it's it's not working and so there's more and more discussion around it um and and what's happening too we, we can get into this discussion a bit is a lot of it's not just going to the courts so there was a decision in 2005 called the shrewly decision in which the courts made a good decision by saying that uh, a right to a wait list is not the same as a right to health care. Um, and the courts themselves said that people were on these wait lists and in some cases dying. The court, the Supreme Court of Canada said that. That's not me, the advocate advocate saying it. Um, the problem for Shirley was it was a Quebec decision. It only applies to, this is a whole other subject matter, but the laws are a bit different in English and in French Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, um, finally, I mean, Several years later, 14 years later, this case is just wrapped up in English Canada. It's actually in uh, British Columbia before the BC Supreme Court. Um, Dr. Brian Day is the gentleman's name. He runs a private clinic called Camby, um, and he's brought forward the case to allow himself as a doctor to extra bill, but uh, more importantly, to allow patients the right to pay out of their uh, yeah. out of their pockets. So. These arguments, uh, in fact, by the time this goes to air, we may have a decision on that. I'll, I'll certainly send it down to you. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's patients going to the courts, uh, doctors going to the courts. Um, this, unfortunately, has been, has been the vehicle because politically nobody will touch it. Um, I mean, of course, the left-leaning political parties at home uh, support it, but even the conservatives uh, won't touch it, unfortunately. They don't have the courage. Sometimes there's little things n- nipping at the sides, like a, pro- a conservative government or province might contract out some services. But the big substantive issues of um, myself, my children, my family should have the same rights as our cat. Yeah. If my cat needs a procedure, um, Joe, Joe, we can take him to the vet and pay out of our pocket and have that procedure done on Friday. But if, if, if my son or my stepdaughter need a procedure, you get in line and, you, and you're told, like Laura Hillier was, that I'm sorry, we only do five a month. You're number 33 on the list. Let's tell, let's tell one more story. Let, let's put some, 
some uh, some faces to, to what you just said because another video I watched on your site um, was an interview with a with a gentleman who who um, finds private solutions to people um, in, oh, yeah. in in line. Yeah, Rick Baker. Yeah. But he talks about a fourth grade girl who with a fairly basic ear infection. And tell tell that story because it it's it, it 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 tells us what we're really talking about here. Yeah, and uh, I encourage people to listen to Rick Baker tell the story. Um, this is economic development in Canada. Rick Baker runs a business, and his business is helping Canadians find Medicare outside the country. Yeah, and there are other people that do this as a business. This is crazy. Like a yeah. business is to help help people leave leave the country. But this young woman, she's in the fourth grade. She she can't hear out of. Um, one ear and she goes to Vancouver Children's Hospital to explain what we can get you in in four months. Uh, four months come, same thing again, I'm sorry, another four months, take it or leave it. Um, and by this stage, you know, she's in a lot of discomfort. She's having trouble learning. Um, you know, it's a lot of discomfort. She of can't hear in class. She can't hear in class. She can't yeah. learn properly. She can't function. She can't interact with her peers, all of this stuff. Um, so I think after the third four-month delay, uh, they go to Rick Baker, um, who then gets them in the next Friday into Bellingham, just across the border. Um, a doctor there looks at the ear and says, oh my goodness, this is far more serious than we realize. A week later, she's down in Seattle. And the says, we're not gonna, it's not just the infection, we need to go in and save this young woman's life and you know Rick points out there's at least half a dozen cases that he can document where he factually saved lives because he was able to find private so, sector so solutions bas for basically her simple infection spread right in, into her because brain, of right? timeliness yeah. right so it went from a simple ear infection into something that um, would have killed her could have potentially yeah yeah if she had kept waiting, the the consequences were were essentially life and death. And thankfully, and so, <laughs> you know, he, here again, I mean, if if my family had a medical emergency, I might, I would have the means to get them help in the United States. But so all of this argument about the poor and equality and everything else, how is it helping? It's the poor people, the lower income people that are most affected by wait lists because they, they can't necessarily, well, they're less likely to be one of the 217,000 right. that are able to get on a plane or get in a car and go down to the United States or Mexico or fly off or wherever. So it, it's those people that are disproportionately hurt by the status quo that forces yeah. them onto these lists with even fewer alternatives than, than others might have. So it seems like um, a reasonable response to uh, wait lists and and global budgets and and low reimbursement rates for the the public system I'll accept the left's terminology that the public system is the government finance system it seems like an utterly reasonable response that that our side always has well at least let's let people leave the system if they can afford to um, or if a provider is willing to provide a service, um, fee-for-service kind of situation. But that's, that's specifically what you're, what you're fighting with in Canada, and we fight here as well, because 
the the designers, the, the the people that really think that they could centrally plan the provision of healthcare, think that 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 leakage undermines the the in in our country we used to call it the global budget. Clinton Care and Obamacare had a global budget, and you you couldn't really let people outside the system because because you know markets get in and start to screw things up. Yeah. In almost all democracies, there are options for people. So we, we have a very knee-jerk cultural reaction. Um, everything becomes like, it's either the Canadian system or it's the American system. And then the, the American system is demonized by, by all the politicians and everyone. Oh, we do two-tier American healthcare. Like this is always used. And, people down there they they have if they don't if they don't have their credit card then they're going to die because they're uh, all of this my, my response to that is that they don't adopt an american system i mean every other country in the world virtually has private alternatives or certainly the private sector provides um alternatives in different ways and in different measures that provides better outcomes for people yeah so Let's not talk about the American system as you know, what we, we say in debates. Let's talk about the Swedish system. Let's talk about the German system. Let's talk about Australia's system, New Zealand's system. All of them have um, different ways of using the private sector, some more than others, um, that at the end of the day provide better outcomes for people and provide people with choices. And, and then there's just, there's just the, the moral argument. Government tells me how to spend half my income already. They forcibly take it from me in taxes. Now they're going to tell me how I can spend the other half of my yeah. money. Yeah. Well, you can't. It's it's illegal. You cannot spend it on on health care. Well, who the hell are you to tell me I yeah. can't spend the other half of my income, which I've earned, on things that I want? So I can take my cat down to get a procedure, but I can't. I can't take a loved one. So. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the economic argument and the measurements and the outcomes that are produced in other countries. But I also think there's more the moral argument about should I have the right, the freedom to spend my after-tax dollars how yeah. I choose? Yeah. And, you know, that's that has to be. You can spend as much as you want on whiskey, on gambling, on <laughs> on tobacco, on marijuana now, whatever that's great and that's fine but you cannot by law spend it on a medically necessary procedure to save someone's life what the hell kind of crazy yeah system I, I are love, we living under i love comparing um so i have three cats and they are <laughs> hardcore randy and libertarians and 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 in case you didn't know this cats are libertarians and, and dogs are sort of ideologically suspicious <laughs> let's just leave it at there because i don't want to open that can of worms but but uh, I spent a fortune on my cats, and and it's uh, it's because they get the best health care probably in the world, and I pay first dollar for the for the care that they need. Um, but but you alluded to this. I I spent some quality time in a hospital uh, fighting cancer, like I think eighteen years ago now. And uh, my wife just pointed out this out to me in the context of this mythology that. That Americans are dying in the streets because of lack of access to health care. And it's it's ridiculous. I, I shared a room with a homeless veteran 
when when I was and I had I had like the best healthcare. I had Blue Cross, um, gold plated healthcare, the kind that that Barack Obama uh, demonized as a as a Cadillac plan. And I was sharing a room with my stage four cancer with a homeless guy on Medicaid, and and so this idea that that somehow people don't have access to care in the United States is is ridiculous. But but more importantly, to the to the point about my cats, like um, the the idea that you can't spend outside the system. I wanted to quote something. I I was thinking about you and watching your videos, and I. I remember this quote that I used in a book that I wrote quite a quite a while ago at the height of the of the Tea Party. Now I've lost the the page, but there's a there's a great speech that Robert Reich gave around the time that he became part of uh, Barack Obama's transition team, and he, and he was speaking at Berkeley. And and Robert Reich, of course, you you know who Robert Reich is. He's a he's now kind of a, a rock star, progressive, uh, technocrat economist who who has taken to video himself. Um, they always the, the other side always beats us on this. And he was talking about what a candidate running for office would say about healthcare if he was being honest. And I'll, I'll paraphrase here because it goes on for a while. Um, but he's, he says, first of all, young people, healthy people, you're going to pay a lot more. And everybody in the audience applauds. Second thing, and I'll, I'll read this because it's, it's shocking. This is a quote from Robert Reich. If you're very old, we're not going to give you all that technology and all those drugs for the last couple years of your life to keep you maybe going for another couple of months. It's too expensive, so we're going to let you die. People applaud, <laughs> and and then he goes on and, and says that you know we're we're gonna we're gonna use uh, our marketing power through Medicare and Medicaid even before Obamacare uh, Medicare and Medicaid made up more than fifty cents on the dollar of of every healthcare dollar that Americans spent we're gonna use that to bully drug companies into lower prices but oh by the way that means less innovation less life-saving technologies, uh, but that's a system. So as, as a technocrat that's going to redesign human life from the, from the top down, they're well aware of the fact that, that people aren't going to get what they need, but they've just decided that we're going to spend this much on healthcare and, and we're going to run it from the top down. And, and you and your doctor, you don't get a choice anymore because that's not good for society as we see it. Right. Well, that's evil. Yeah, of course. It is absolutely evil. And they are, they are implicit with people's pain and suffering and discomfort. They're implicit in the death of people, frankly. I don't know how else to put it. Um, the system only will give you or provide you what they allow it. So if you want to invest in more innovation in the system, well, you've got to make a claim on taxpayers. This is ridiculous. Like, what other business if you... If you want to innovate in almost any other line of work, well, yeah. you, you you go out and you raise capital and and you do that. But if you want to um, expand a cancer screening program, you've got to go and convince politicians the case to make a claim, further claim on taxpayers. And I mean, this is this is rationing. This is, and the outcomes are 
clear, clear to be told. So, And yet, um, we in the United States are about to import this idea. And I, and as, oh, as I, well. I think Bernie and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren other candidates love love to point to the Canadian system. Is this this is what we would like to achieve in the United States? Yeah, and and I was going to add that there's debate now. We just had a federal election in the country, and two of the parties are talking about doing what they've done for healthcare, doing it with the pharmaceutical industry. One party is openly wanting to nationalize all pharmaceuticals, and I don't know the exact numbers, but there's been some academic research around this that shows that the number available would be cut in less than half as they again ration that so yeah. isn't that great like let's take let's take everything that's wrong with these long wait lists and people like me that need you know drugs to live um let's ration that that's a great system yeah. like how can you how can you not and so fortunately many of the provincial premiers that have to cooperate as part of this plan because healthcare is delivered by the provinces a couple of them are standing up and saying look i think we've got a lot to figure out with delivering basic health care before right. we start getting into rationing and, and distributing um, pharmaceuticals. It's a crazy system. You know, central planners figuring out union contracts, but also the number of Q-tips and all of these hospitals. This is absolute madness. I thought we learned these lessons after the fall of the wall, that these centrally planned systems don't work, whether... It's the entire economy or for a particular sector like, like healthcare. And yet this idea of um, equality is so powerful that they not only talk about it, but they continue to make the case openly and proudly that we'll expand it to other aspects of the economy. Um, we got to fight back against this stuff. Yeah. And um, anyway, that's... Well, the, you know, the good news... Um, if you will, is that the the narrative right now in the United States is that you know Kamala Harris just pulled out of of the Democratic primary, and she was a big advocate of of Medicare for all. I recall, I think she was one of the original co-sponsors of Bernie's Bernie Sanders uh, yeah. legislation. Um, and more more important, maybe, is that Elizabeth Warren, who was very much considered the front runner, is is collapsing because she she's. You know the narrative is she made the mistake of putting the details of her Medicare for all plan out there, uh, whereas other people like like Bernie, it's more it's more of a statement of of religious faith. We're we're going to provide care for everybody, and he doesn't really explain how exactly that's going to happen. But she put a price tag on it, and she put specifics on it. And I think a lot of a lot of Americans, particularly senior citizens, that are are in Medicare. They weren't given a choice, but they're there, and they understand that that growing the populations that depend on these services inevitably leads to to some form of rationing. And getting back to Robert Reich's point, um, you know, someone like me, stage four cancer, um, fairly exotic cancer that that was only cured because of a fairly new innovation in chemotherapy. So imagine. Imagine me in a ration system. Um, am I worth saving? Would that uh, treatment even exist under that system? And senior citizens are thinking about this, and, and, and Jenny's story is, is um, important here. Like, was she worth, was it worth fixing her hip? 
Because right. those are the questions that the bureaucrats ask. So I, I do think we can. I, I think we can win this argument. And I think you know one of the one of the lessons maybe that Elizabeth Warren teaches us is that instead of some sort of uh, global replacement vision of a free market in healthcare, we just allow a little competition. We allow a little, little bit of choice. We allow patients that need something that the government can't provide to go purchase it on the market. Right, and that's. That shows why the number of people leaving the country is so powerful because they are reaching out yeah. to the marketplace. In effect, by voting with their feet, and they're not going to wait. Their their lives are worth more than that. I feel sorry for the people that can't afford necessarily to do that. Yeah, that's what that's where the real crime is because there's no alternative but to get on the back of that it's wait the, list. The and irony hope that you of get there. The irony of the quest for equality right. is that poor people suffer the most under the system. And and one of the problems, Matt, is that the solutions are often misdiagnosed, right? So so often pe- people look at this, oh yeah, wait lists are terrible, blah, blah, blah. But the solution is more government, right? Yeah. This is what the politicians offer. Oh, well, we just, you know, re- we'll replace those guys that are in power now, we'll put more money into the system and we'll manage it, we'll manage it better. And a lot of people buy into this, like, but we've, we've increased spending at a greater rate than population growth and inflation for decades. And the wait lists continue to to go up, like connect the dots. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's clearly no amount of money is going to solve the problem because the system itself and the incentives in the system are inherently, are inherently flawed. Um, is it like, so in the United States, we have a so-called uh, three-tier system where there's always a middleman and it's usually either a government program like Medicare or Medicaid or uh, employer-provided insurance, which is is treated differently um, in the tax code. Therefore, it's flourished and sort of crowded out um, direct relationships between um, patients and doctors. There's always a third party making a decision, and that creates an insane amount of bureaucracy and an insane amount of, of waste, essentially, to feed that bureaucracy. And and also makes it so that doctors and patients have no idea what something costs. They don't, right. because they don't pay the price. I've, I've actually tried to use a health savings account before, and I'll ask a doctor, well, how much is that? Right. And, and they have no idea because they're stuck in a system where, where um, a rational allocation of resources is not a thing that they even think about. Right. Yeah, well, they have no idea what, what the cost is because they it's only measured in, in inputs, right? You pay this many nurses this price tag, you pay this many doctors this amount of money, um, and it's thrown at the system, And but there's really no measurement. So pr- private facilities that have outsourced some of the treatments and, and build back, they didn't know what to build these private facilities because they'd never actually measured in many hospitals the cost of a given procedure. So it was the private sector that was telling the government in many cases, well, well this is what it costs to do this uh, procedure for your knee or your elbow or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, because they don't, they don't measure these things. They don't know the cost. I mean, the patient doesn't know the cost that comes through their taxes, obviously. But even the administrators in these government hospitals often don't know what the, what the costs are. So... Yeah, I mean it's just and, it's and, just rot with yeah, and and in our system there's there's all sorts of of cost shifting. So if you're not on Medicaid, which is um, the lowest reimbursement for Procedure X, uh, Medicare is a little bit higher, but it's still below 
quote market. There are no market prices, but let's right. There's, that's a problem. There's no and market prices. Then there's what uh, like your 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 employer's insurance reimburses, and then if you're if you're not in any of those systems, um, you pick up the slack. So if you walk in to to purchase um, a procedure in this country, the prices are insane. So I think it's important to point out that when we're talking about um, uh, patients choosing and market competition and and being aware of of, of the price of things, we're not at, I, at least I'm not in any way endorsing the current system because it is it is completely screwed up by all sorts of uh, uh, interventions and regulations and and distortions that that has nothing to do with what I think should be a proper healthcare system. Right. Right. Well, and this is <laughs> this is the path that we're on. Right. Right. But I, I just slipped into economist speak. Right. And and I'm I'm failing and you should scold me right now. We need to tell stories. Where can people find um, the stories uh, some of the videos that you guys have produced? So our our website is uh, secondstreet.org and um, there's stories on there but there's also um, you know narratives um, that we tell and we have some fun with one we, we didn't get to is um, um, we had a couple of, of us I wasn't part of the video but got up early one morning and slipped across the the US border um, because of course we're told that our system is so much so vastly superior to Americans and no one would use that for-profit system um, slipped in the car, really went across the border, went to the first hospital we found on the other side of the border in Bellingham, Washington, drove through the parking lot, found a dozen uh, Canadian license plates, including, interestingly, one plate in a doctor's uh, <laughs> stall. So even some of the professionals are, are, are working down in the, in the system. Because again, they, they too are rationed in the system as to the number of procedures that they can perform based on what the administrators tell them that they can, they can do at any given time. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's people voting with, with their feet by, you know, they are going to find alternatives to, yeah. to live, to be out of pain, to, to avoid all that, all that discomfort. So, uh, secondstreet.org is, is our website and we want to, we want to build it out and we'd like to do more stories, especially as you come up into your election cycle so that we can, you know, I think Americans need to hear about this experience too. You know, what I hear from politicians in this country often is a lot of theorizing that, oh, it's free, it's accessible, and, and all of this stuff, but it, it's important to understand what it is in practice. And you've got an example just, you know, you don't have to go far. You've got a neighboring example right north to the border to learn and to understand because this has been going on since the 1960s as, the, as, it, as it faces more, more stress. And, of course, we didn't get into this whole issue, but it's, I mean, it's also undercapitalized, right, because it's all pay-as-you-go as the population ages. I mean, we've got to fix the competition model, but we've also got to create systems of savings, right? Yeah. Because the system is going to be really strained as the population ages, um, and the tax base isn't there to fill those gaps uh, the way it was. So, you know, there's a lot of pressures on the, on the system, obviously, but the biggest one and the one that we really want to focus on is we've got to break down this monopoly. We've got to allow for... For systems of competition in the marketplace, it's just like if we buy food or buy shoes or anything else. Why did these things work? Why are there no shortages? Connect the dots. And we've got to apply those same lessons when it comes to people's health care and their, and their lives. Um, and so through the stories, through the narratives, I think we're going to start to 
to do that. And, and hopefully some of these um, uh, court cases and other things that are going on will have, will have some success as well. In the meantime, we need to make sure that we Americans don't screw up our system so much that Canadians no longer have that, that escape <laughs> valve, right? Yeah. Or we'll be going to China or we'll be yeah. going to... So, so keep your Medicare for all and, and we're going to pursue more market-based solutions here. Good stuff. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Your ratings will help us reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.